You're listening to Radio Free Philosophy. This podcast is brought to you by TranquilityRetreat.com. Well, welcome to Radio Free Philosophy. My name is Kevin Brown. And I'm Bob Uricu. And today we're going to begin our series of discussions on ethical theories with an eye towards the ones that actually might provide us with some useful insights. We looked at a couple of attempts to formulate ethics that were flawed, relativism and basing morality on religion. This time, we can ask a, a frequently asked question, can you be ethical without a god? Now, we tried to take a stab at that last time, but let's do it this way. Let's Let's propose a scenario. A young man comes to his father, who's a professor, and asks him, what do I have to do to be a good person? Neither the son nor the father believes in a, an all-powerful deity. So, how does the father answer the son? Well, Aristotle and his son Nicomachus are the person, personages in that scenario. It really happened. Or at least Aristotle tells us that. And he wrote a long dissertation on how to be good, how to be a good person, how to be a human being, uh, in response to his son's question. At no time does he invoke God or anything supernatural. So he bases his ethics on just being human. So, Yeah, it's a very naturalistic ethics. In fact, that that term has come up to describe one one type of ethical theory which doesn't make an appeal to anything supernatural. Aristotle bases it on, as you say, what it means to be a human being and what is it that makes human beings unique among all living creatures. And maybe we should just start by clarifying some very important terms. Aristotle will say to his son and to all of us and everybody who's ever read him, that the ultimate goal of human happiness, a human being, is happiness. And he uses a Greek word for that. Of course, he was writing in Greek. And it comes out to us as eudaimonia, or eudaimonia. And literally, it means having a good spirit inside you. Having a good demon, literally. (laughs) So, it's that feeling good about yourself. That's very hard to quantify. But we know what it is if we've ever been happy. So that's central to any of Aristotle's thinking here. And it's not something that uh, is identifiable in any individual moment. It's more of a, uh, Aristotle encourages us to look at it over a lifetime as something that uh, uh, you strive towards and you're continuing to strive towards. And to determine whether you're getting there or not, you can occasionally look back and see, well, I'm, I'm... is the life I've lived so far one that I'm satisfied with, and am I on the right track for continuing that? Um, maybe another way of thinking about it is uh, a life well lived, looked at in its entirety. Yeah, in retrospect. Um, there was a mathematician named W.K. Clifford that once said that it, it's morally wrong, always and everywhere, for anyone to believe anything on insufficient evidence. So, do we have any proof that there's a thing called happiness. Just just human experience, I would say. At one time or another, most of us experience what it means to be happy. And it's not just memories. 
we we want to be happy and we we structure our lives in accordance with that goal but everything we do we do in order to be happy i don't think any of us wakes up in the morning looks in the mirror and says how can i make myself more miserable today right and as aristotle points out this is really uh, considered the ultimate goal uh, it's not that we try to be happy in order to achieve some other goal it's that we try to be happy as an end in itself now you can't say this about some of the goals that we strive to achieve uh, aristotle mentions um for instance, um, gaining knowledge or uh, seeking pleasure. But these are merely goals that further some other goal. They're not ultimate ends, as he calls them. Uh, he says at one point in the, in the uh, Nicomachean Ethics, no one chooses happiness for the sake of honor, although we might choose being honorable for the sake of being happy. Mm-hmm. So that's what tells him, that's the proof, so to speak, that happiness is the ultimate goal. And, of course, as you say, having the experience certainly indicates that it's something real to be strived towards. It's not as if we're, we're striving towards something that we have no evidence is even possible or even exists. So we know there is happiness out there from our own human experience, even though it's hard to get a handle on it sometimes. And I, I'm reminded of that quote from the Supreme Justice who was asked to define obscenity. Um, and he said, I know it when I see it. So, I guess happiness can be defined as the state of pleasure or, or, or well-being that you experience. And when you have it, when you experience it, you're happy. So, that's a very important concept. It, it's the overriding uh, central theme in Aristotle's ethics. The other important theme, and without which we, we can't understand ethics in Aristotle, is the notion of the good um, just by itself there's a thing called the good and the good as Aristotle defined it is that toward which all things tend everything is oriented toward a good things grow toward a good things aim at a good now it's a, it's a hard concept and I don't know if we need empirical evidence that there is a good out there well this, this seems to me to be informed by Aristotle's general theory of metaphysics that, that yes things have different causes, one of which uh, is their final cause, their telos, the end towards mm-hmm. which they're, they're aiming. So, you know, he might have said something like, you know, the cause of, of a desk is to, to write on or something like that, and to the extent that mm-hmm. a desk is a good vehicle for writing on, then it's fulfilling its, its purpose well. I was thinking along those same lines myself. The good is that toward which all things tend. Even a, a chair, the good of a chair is to be sat upon. The good of a mouse is, I don't know, to uh, clean up fallen fruit or, or nuts. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's its purpose. So the, the, the main good of everything is its purpose, but there's a higher good out there, the, 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 the overriding good. And it's almost a godlike entity in Plato and Aristotle. They just assume that it's out there. It's the telos. It's the end and purpose for everything. Right, and so the question then becomes, what's the end or purpose of of human beings? And Aristotle uh, investigates a couple of different options to this. Uh, Is it simply um, being alive, breathing, uh, existing, in that very physical sense? And he seems to rule that out because that doesn't distinguish us from from plants. Plants can do that. An amoeba can do that. Sure. And, well, maybe it's having... uh, 
sense perception or experiences. We can see things and hear things and taste things. But again, that doesn't distinguish us from other animals. That's right. He rules it right out. And so it must be that there's something which makes humans unique. And for Aristotle, that's the capacity to have reason. Yes. And not simply the capacity, but the actual use of reason. He actually goes out of his way to say it's not simply enough that you just have a reasoned capacity. You, You have to use it. You have to put it into action. Because after all, the question that he's trying to, uh, to answer for his son and for us is, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live our lives? Not just, what, what should I sit around and think about, which of course is part of the capacity of reason, but what am I supposed to be doing? And part of being rational is to have two faculties that are not shared by other animals. In fact, he, Aristotle defines a human being as a rational animal. So what does it mean to be reasonable? What does it mean to have reason? It's to have two qualities, or two powers. One is the intellect, and one is the will. One cannot be virtuous, according to Aristotle, unless one exercises those powers. Yes, because to go along with those two powers, he distinguishes two types of virtue, which we'll want to talk about in a moment as a specific uh, term in Aristotle's ethics. Uh, he, he talks about specifically two kinds of virtues, though, the intellectual virtues and the moral virtues. And let's look at the word virtue. In Greek, it's arete. And it means something more than what we usually associate with it today. Um, yeah, we do have a narrowed conception of you know, virtue these yes, days. Yes, um, who wants to date a virtuous girl, for example? You know, like virtuous being a goody two-shoes. And that's, that's not at all what virtue meant to the Greeks. It was the highest ideal to which you could attain. In fact, um, it, it, was, it was manliness. It was, it was more manly to be virtuous than to be not virtuous. Because it also has the connotation, doesn't uh, doesn't it, of of uh, excellence, doing something excellence. excellently, excellence doing something very well. Yes, and strength as well. So that idea of power and uh, aspiring to high ideals and excellence is all part of the Greek notion of virtue. So when we use virtue in this broadcast, we don't mean the way it's often used in English today. Yeah, for instance, one of the virtues he talks extensively about in the Ethics is the virtue of courage. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you wouldn't necessarily think of as virtuous in the sense that we use the word today, uh, but it's certainly an, an, an integral part of Aristotle's notion of virtue ethics. What, what constitutes uh, a life well lived is to be courageous. And one of the first things Aristotle will tell his son is don't identify happiness with pleasure. Now, by pleasure, he uses the Greek word hedone, and we get our, our term hedonism or hedonistic from that word. Happiness is not the same thing as pleasure. Sometimes what makes you happy is something that will not give you a great deal of pleasure, but it's the right thing to do. And sometimes, uh, as many people know from their own lives, uh, the mere seeking out and attaining of pleasure doesn't necessarily make one happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kierkegaard, the 19th century uh, Danish philosopher discovered this and, and wrote extensively about it, but the mere pursuit of pleasure doesn't always, if ever, perhaps yield true happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and part of the reason I suspect that Aristotle wants to say that is pleasure is a fleeting thing that goes from moment to moment, but his view of happiness uh, is is something more general and, and overreaching than that. Is There's a nice passage in the Nicomachean um, Ethics where he says, uh, one swallow does not make a spring, nor does one sunny day. Similarly, one day 
or a short time does not make a man blessed and happy, whereas pleasure is usually defined in terms of this pleasurable moment. And some people have the idea that if they can stack up a whole lifetime of pleasurable moments, that would be a happy life. But Aristotle is saying that's not happiness. No, and that's a great leading. Your comment just there leads into the notion of virtue as habit. A habit is central to understanding Aristotle's notion of virtue. A habit is, as we know, a whole series of acts that become second nature. We speak of uh, cigarette smoking as a habit. and We know how hard it is to break a habit. If you've smoked for years and you try to quit, um, it's not going to happen easily. Even if you have the habit... I remember being trained for public speaking and uh, having the professor ring a bell every time someone said the word you know, or the phrase you know. Uh, we say it all the time, but it's it's a distraction in public speaking. And to break people of the habit, the professor would ring a bell every time one said you know. So, But it was difficult to break that habit. So a habit for Aristotle is like, um, I guess, we could use the analogy of a cable. If you've ever seen a steel cable, it consists of hundreds of thin wires woven together or just twisted together. You can break one wire easily. You can break two wires easily. But once three or four are, are twisted together, it's harder and harder to break them. And uh, Aristotle sees virtue as a series of hundreds of actions that are performed intentionally, voluntarily, one after another, but then become so much a part of your nature that you don't think you're doing them. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. Uh, to What does it mean to be a courageous person? It means to do a lot of different courageous acts. Sure. What does it mean to be an honest person? Not to be honest once in your life, but to be habitually honest. Right. Habitually honest. A a sequence of of occasions where you're required to to be honest and and you do that. Okay. Well, let's take a little break and then we can talk more specifically about some virtues and there's some other concepts involved as well to flesh out uh, Aristotle's ethics. Here we are back from the break, and we're talking about Aristotle's idea of virtue. As a foundation for understanding what he means by virtue, we have to understand what he means by means and extremes. Virtue is a mean between extremes. Now, I guess to understand mean, we have to understand what moderation is. We've often heard it said that moderation is the best path. Uh, Be moderate in all you do. Well, that really comes from Aristotle. Aristotle saw human actions as falling on a spectrum. In the middle of the spectrum, there was what he called the golden mean. And at the opposite ends of the spectrum were what he called vices. And vices were extreme forms of a certain behavior. For example, we mentioned courage earlier. Now, courage is a mean between two extremes. One extreme is excess, and that excess would be Uh, foolhardiness or rashness. The other extreme would be a deficiency, and that would be cowardice. So, for example, a soldier in battle is expected to show courage. Now, repeated acts of courage would lead him to a a virtue of courage so that he he would be courageous instinctively, almost, or habitually. But if the soldier showed way too much courage. He was extreme in his courage. He might be foolhardy. He could throw down his life, waste his life in vain for no reason at all. Where, if he were 
courageous, he would learn that there were times when he would have to live to fight another day. Now, the same soldier could be guilty of an, an extreme a, by defect, and that would be by being cowardly, running away from any danger. So if a, if a soldier or any person was foolhardy all the time or cowardly all the time, they would develop that cable again, a series of actions which would lead to a, a habit. They would be rash all the time, or they would be cowardly all the time. And you would expect them to be a coward. They would be full of a vice called cowardice. And from that we get our, our, our adjective vicious. Someone is either vicious or virtuous. They have a, a habit called a virtue, or they have a vice. And this notion of the mean between two extremes is really very helpful because it provides us with a sort of a concrete sense of what it means to act in a virtuous way. I mean, it's one thing to just say, be courageous, mm -hmm. but unless you define that in some sense that people understand, it's hard to know what what you should be doing. And so Aristotle provides us with this uh, barometer or gauge to think about. Uh, there is such a thing as too much courage. There is such a thing as too yes, little courage. That's right. And so it's the right proportion mm -hmm. of the virtue that you're looking for. And this is true for for all the virtues. In fact, in the in the the, the Nicomachean Ethics, he goes through a fairly extensive process of listing quite a few virtues and then explaining their their vices, both of deficiency and and excess. And he mm -hmm. does this for, for virtues like fairness, generosity, honesty. Uh, civility, courteousness, dependability, patience, all of these are are virtues because they're the mean between extremes. Sure. Many of us have felt, for example, occasions of anger. We, justifiable or not, we're angry about something. Well, Aristotle would channel that, that feeling into a virtue if, if, if one were patient in situations like that. But if one were irascible all the time, that would be a vice. And similarly, if one showed no response at all, that's lack of spirit, listlessness. Um, that's a vice, too. You don't look for listlessness in people. You don't look for irascibility in people, in uh, co-workers or employees. Um, you want patience. That's a virtue. And one of the nice things I like about Aristotle's treatment of the notion of vices is his his claim, which seems very well uh, justified to me, that there are some things which are inherently vicious. They're inherently a vice. Mm -hmm. Doing them moderately doesn't make them virtuous. One example would be adultery. Mm -hmm. You know, suppose I choose to be an adulterer, but with the right person. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It's Not a really. vice, no matter mm -hmm. what. Mm -hmm. You can't act viciously in a way that would be moderate in the same sense that he's referring to. Uh, to a virtue. So some things are inherently vices. Right. Now that's been corrupted sometimes. For example, I'm thinking of the, the temperance movement, um, which was a, a, um, a social uh, impetus to ban alcohol in the United States. It led to the, uh, the famous Prohibition Amendment. For Aristotle, temperance was a virtue. It was the mean between extremes. The excess would be drunkenness all the time. But for him, a deficiency would be teetotaling. That would be uh, not enjoying life at all, not enjoying a glass of wine. Um, that's how Aristotle would see things.
as a mean between extremes. Sure. And so the the extreme there of being a teetotaler is a vice. You, how how could you be moderately a teetotaler? Mm-hmm. It almost doesn't even make sense to uh-huh. ask the question. Uh-huh. It's kind of like being moderately pregnant. I mean, it just mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense at all. So moderation and the virtues are are very closely connected. We um, we look for the same things as Aristotle told his son. For example, in our acquaintances, when we go to a party. We expect people around us, and we expect ourselves, to be witty. Well, Aristotle said the same thing to his son. That's that's a mean between extremes. At a party or in a conversation, a social setting, you would be if you were um, hogging the limelight and and making a fool out of yourself and putting the lampshade in your head, you'd be a buffoon, and that would be an excess as far as Aristotle goes in a vice. And if you were we're boring people to death. You'd be a bore. Um, and that would be a, an extreme for Aristotle. And something that's interesting about that, because all those comments you, you, you make are correct, and you almost think, well, you know, that sounds so modern and contemporary. Obviously, that, that wisdom must have come from a book very recently published by some self-help guru. <laughs> But Aristotle's talking about these exact same things in that exact same way over 2,000 years ago. Yes, yes. And so, remember in an earlier broadcast this season, we talked about relativism. Well, maybe all this stuff is just relative to culture and time and place. But here we are talking about uh, a book of, of ethics that's over 2,000 years ago in a culture that we have uh, very little connect, direct connection with, the Greek culture of that time. And it sounds virtually indistinguishable from something that could have been written yesterday yes. about how to behave. Exactly. And so these mm-hmm. things perhaps are timeless uh, and objective in the sense that uh, we just didn't accidentally decide that these were the right things to do. Maybe they are the right things to do for a, for a more objective reason. And notice, they arise without religion as a basis. Aristotle never invokes the gods in terms of ethical behavior. He just says, look, this is what makes a human being a human. That's right, and that's what leads some people to say, even today, that perhaps religion is not the originator of moral Mm -hmm. values, although it may be a vehicle for communicating them. Some Mm -hmm. people use religion in the home, certainly, as a a vehicle for communicating moral virtue or explaining them, Mm -hmm. but the virtues themselves can be derived purely from, in in Aristotle's view, the, the natural faculty of human reason. Right, that's why Thomas Aquinas found it so easy to adapt Aristotle to his Christian uh, ethical teachings. He found Aristotle a gold mine. He Christianized Aristotle, but he's just saying the same things. Sure. Now, uh, one thing we might ask and uh, provide a helpful answer to maybe motivate people to think more about uh, living according to the virtues is, you know, why are these things important? Why should I care about being a virtuous person? Uh, I enjoy life going out and getting drunk and gambling and and, uh, cheating every once in a while and lying to people. I I enjoy my life that way, so why should this be important for me? And I think Aristotle provides uh, a good answer to that, which we've already alluded to, which is, if the goal is to be happy, and I don't think anybody would dispute that Mm -hmm. that's the goal that we're all Mm -hmm. striving towards, this is the best way to achieve the goal. Now, you might achieve the goal some other way, but it's not the best way. It's not the way that is most productive, most effective, most satisfying. Living according to the virtues is the best way. 
Yeah, I'm reminded of Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, that, that concludes with, you know, the poem goes, if you can keep your head all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. But uh, Kipling concludes, uh, if you can do all these things, you'll be a man, my son. And uh, I guess that's how Aristotle holds up the ideal to his son. If you can do all these things, if you can keep, if you can develop these kinds of virtues, you'll be happy. And what's more, people will be happy around you because you're in their company. Yeah, that's something else we don't want to ignore is that uh, by striving to seek happiness for ourselves, we are certainly affecting the happiness of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know of too many people that are happy with the scenario you outlined earlier. You go to a party and you act like a buffoon all mm-hmm. the time. I mean, that might be mildly amusing for a few minutes, mm-hmm. but that would grate if you had to live with that person behaving that way all the time. So your happiness and your striving towards it by living according to the virtues is actually going to have the effect of making others happy as well or happier. It's something else I really like about Aristotle is that mm-hmm. he, he encourages us to take this long-term view. I'm not simply trying to be happy for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be happy for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And the, again, the best way of doing that is to live according to these, to these virtues. And, of course, the best way to live according to the virtues, which we alluded to earlier, is to get in the habit of behaving virtuously. Precisely. The habit is, is brings about stability in a person. And that's why a virtuous person was much in demand in, uh, in diplomatic settings, in military settings. You can count on a person to be courageous. You can count on a person to be honest. You can count on the integrity of another person because they have a, have a virtue. And anyone with children will understand what Aristotle says when he points out that that behaving virtuously is not a natural thing. You, you have to inculcate the habit. Mm-hmm. It's not simply that you're born and all of a sudden you are a virtuous person. You have the disposition to behave according to the virtues, Aristotle mm-hmm. says. Mm-hmm. But you have to be taught self-control, for instance, or courage or honesty. And you do this by getting into the habit or... Uh, for parents, get, you know, getting your children into the habit of doing these things. Because under stressful conditions, when you have to make decisions about how to behave in an ethical way, you don't want to have to think about it. You want to have the That's habit right. there to rely upon. And if you don't have the habit, under stressful conditions, you seek pleasure, what seems pleasurable to you. And that may not be what's virtuous. That may not be the right thing to do. This strikes me as such a useful work that uh, we might want to recommend to all parents or prospective parents to read this. I mean, it's just because a parent wrote it uh, specifically to address mm-hmm. questions that all children ask. You know, eventually, it seems to me every child is going to come across this question. Well, how, how am I supposed to know what to do mm-hmm. or how to behave in this situation or how to act? And how fortunate the parent who can say, well, this is what Aristotle said to his son. One day, it's interesting you should mention the uh, how-to books and the self-help books that are found by the hundreds in every bookstore. It, it's so um, it's so revealing to think that these books uh, had their original inspiration in Aristotle. Yeah, because if you read some of them having familiarity with Aristotle, it's just Aristotle Redux or Aristotle <laughs> Light. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Some of them don't don't allude to Aristotle. Maybe they they're worried they're going to scare off their their readers, but but a lot of it is simply uh, acting according to the virtues, acting according to uh, the mean between extremes, getting in the habit of acting certain. Well, one of the most famous series of books uh, people are uh, 
are very interested in these days is the Stephen Covey books, the Seven Habits okay. of Effective People. Or, people or, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. that's that's just straight out of the Aristotle playbook. Aristotle, yes. <laughs> Yet these books sell by, by the hundreds of thousands, and how few people ever read Aristotle. So uh, we suggest go back to the source, go back to the horse's mouth. That's Let's put a plug in for Aristotle. <laughs> We also suggest that if you have any questions for us, please send us email at askaphilosopher at yahoo.com and visit our website, radiofreephilosophy.com. This podcast is proud to be a part of the Blueberry Network. Find freshly picked podcasts just for you at blueberry.com. That's blueberry, no ease, dot com.